Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. There's so much injustice and my job is to speak the truth. I have to speak the truth no matter who to, I can't be complicit. Do you need social media? Well, I don't need it. Could you leave social media? It's, it's important that we speak. I have to speak. The business model of these networks incentivize us to behave in in certain ways, in ways that promote speaking, often at the cost of listening. Do you remember the three R's? Uh, rest, reflect, rejuvenate. I think it's worth exploring the possibility you have an idea of self, let's say A, for Arabella, and then there's a line, a hard surface at the bed, uh, dangerous things, dark things, anything that contradicts or threatens your perceived reality. It happens more often than you might think. A line is drawn separating bad from good, friend from foe, men, women, black, white, them, us, criminal, victim, God, devil. It helps us to deflect, you know, avoid feelings like guilt, uncertainty, self-blame. These feelings are, are crucial in the stages of recovery, if we can't process and understand them, we can't process and understand ourselves. From the TV series, I May Destroy You. In this scene, the protagonist, Arabella, played by the marvelous Michaela Cole, realizes something supremely vital when talking to her therapist speaking her truth and being an influencer and calling out people on social is literally destroying her soul. To find herself, to reunite with her higher self, she must descend into the caverns of her unconscious to face her shadow, her complexes, her trauma. She does all of this eventually. Not surprising you listeners, 
At the end of the series, Arabella's reality breaks apart and she confronts manifested archons and her own fragmented selves and ultimately heals in a most non-woke, transgressive way. At least for these Huxleyan times. Is this all real? Or is it just happening inside my head? Of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. Why should that mean that it's not real? Like Arabella, don't speak your truth. For as W.B. Yeats said, man cannot know the truth, only embody it. Don't go on a revolution on social media or on the streets. Because as Ursula Le Guin wrote, you cannot buy the revolution. You cannot make the revolution. You can only be the revolution. It is in your spirit or it is nowhere. Those without swords can still die upon them. I fear neither death nor pain. What do you fear, my lady? A cage. But you already knew this, didn't you? You knew there is a vast universe within you you have just started exploring. And the destination is always you confronting subconscious dragons and the legion that you are. You already knew this. You know too, you'll have to write your own gospel and live your own myth. After all, I May Destroy You is Cole's gospel and myth on her surviving rape and transforming into a new being. It's been a brilliant journey of self-awakening. Now you've simply got to ask yourself this. What is happiness to you? Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Welcome to Aeon by Nasik Radio. We don't take prisoners but liberate them. We are not the final authority on anything, but hope to be an endless possibility for everything. Divided we stand, together we rise. This is where the fallen angel meets the rising ape, where you exist only to be inspire and inspire others, where you have chosen ecstasy over entertainment. We run with those searching for the truth and avoid those who have found it. When hope dies, imagination must live. And imagination is the only weapon in the war against reality. Plus, we don't care anymore about hope because it hasn't done a damn good thing for our many incarnations. Within and across time. It's said that the worst thing to come out of Pandora's box were not the sorrows or the plagues. It was hope itself. Hope's a gamble. Hope lacks certainty. And this city knows all too well what hopelessness and pain can do. It drives it mad. I am your host and Pompidus of Gnosis, Miguel Connor. Honored and humbled as always to be your madman across the waters of creation and gonzo guide in this age of Hermes, Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. I gotta have more cowbell! Going back to Le Guin, she said, how we play is what we win. And we're playing the game of transformation, rapture, and helping the least of our brothers. And going inward like Arabella. 
We must hurry because the world is going dark. And we now understand too well these words by Alan Moore in V for Vendetta. Since mankind's dawn, a handful of oppressors have accepted the responsibility over our lives that we should have accepted for ourselves. By doing so, they took our power. By doing nothing, we gave it away. We've seen where their way leads, through camps and wars, towards the slaughterhouse. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. I am not a number. I am a free man. We're taking back all responsibility as we embody the truth and increasingly find more tools here at the Virtual Alexandria. So many amazing astral guests here, and this episode is no exception. Once again, we have the privilege of being joined by Richard Smoley. He will be discussing his latest work, The Truth About Magic. As you'll see in the interview, part of the truth about magic is that you are living magic. Always have been. But they made you forget as it made you forget how beautiful you were. Get ready for more anamnesis or that loss of forgetfulness. Plato said all learning is remembering. Get ready, and Richard is always so full of valis pink bean lights. You are living magic. What is the universe without each sunrise? And that's how we judge our gods. Not on their math, but their poetry. I mentioned this quote in the interview, but here is some of the Sophia of Richard from The Truth About Magic. You can never give up what is true. The only thing you can give up are illusions. We live in a world of illusions. We live in a world that tries to make us believe that certain things are more important than they are, or that we should be terribly excited or upset about the most insignificant matters. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. And I love how Richard quotes this scene from the play, Our Town. Now there are some things we all know, but we don't take them out and look at them very often. We all know that something is eternal. And it ain't houses, and it ain't names, and it ain't earth, and it ain't even the stars. Everybody knows in their bones that something is eternal, and that something has to do with human beings. There's something way down deep that's eternal about every human being. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Again. I'm so honored to be spreading this information that helps you become free. Your authentic self, the hero of the narrative you were always meant to be. I have wasted half of my life in addiction, madness, material delusion. Destroyed so many promising careers and hurt so many people. Redeemed it all and lost it all again. But it's worth it to be here with you at the virtual Alexandria. 
even as the world ends and civilization collapses in psychosis. Because we are together in that final rescue operation of Sophia. Our mother, our sister, our enemy and lover, ourselves. If we have souls, they are made of the love we share. Undimmed by time, unbound by death. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn professional. And we've been weird for so many existences. We freaks and outcasts, we of the broken places, we sons and daughters of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. It's about the things you survived. As it's written, the world breaks everyone, and afterward, some are strong at the broken places. Thank you so much for being my gnosis so often. You are amazing, and that's a fact no hating angel can change. You are living magic. As Gordon White wrote, Magic's only other requirement is that you always put a question mark after the word reality and truly own the responsibility that comes with doing so. Like Arabella finally did in I May Destroy You. Let us to our interview with Richard Smoley on The Truth About Magic. As a bonus, I'll provide an old interview with Richard on his book, Forbidden Faith, where he focuses on the legacy of the Gnostics, secret societies, and other esoteric groups. More scholarly and you'll love it. The Empire Never Ended. It makes total sense now. Ellen? It's the way you live, the way you move around. You're just not cut out for the real world, are you? Are you afraid you'll end up like Barr? Is that what this is? Look out the window. No, I have work to do. You me. need to leave. Okay. Let, let go of me. Can you tell me what you see? I see the same things I see every day. Well, imagine you've never seen it. Imagine you've spent your whole life in other parts of the world. Being told every day you're defending freedom. And finally you decide you've had enough. Time to see what you've given up your whole life for. Maybe get some of that freedom for yourself. Look at the people. But tell me which ones are free. Free from debt, anxiety, stress, fear, failure, indignity, betrayal. How many wish they were born knowing what they know now? Ask yourself, how many would do things the same way all over again? And how many would live their lives like me? This is the A.M. Byte interview. And with us, we have the pleasure, always the pleasure, of being joined by Richard Smoley. This time to discuss his latest book, The Truth About Magic. Richard, thanks for coming on again. Well, thanks so much, Miguel. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's always great to have you. And it's always great to have the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? 
Oh, I'm fine. Looking forward to this truth that I'm about to be imbued with on magic. There you go. Well, you could just listen to Olivia Newton-John's magic song. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> listen to Xanadu. I'm one of the few people who admits to liking that soundtrack a lot, but uh, that's just me. So awesome. So tell us about the process or the reasons why you decided to write this book, which I enjoyed a lot, Richard. I, I wrote this book in two days. I, um, uh, about a year or so, uh, G&D Media in New York engaged me to do an audio and video series on the truth about magic. So I was recorded both video and um, on audio at the same time in the course of two days. So this is also available in audio, you know, just pure, uh, you know, radio form and on video on Vimeo. So uh, for people who prefer to have this material that way, that's also an option. The book is an edited transcript of the talks I gave during those two days. So I was the one who edited it. Um, the, they're substantially the same. So uh, you can uh, both read the book and or listen to the video and or listen to the audio or from my perspective, of course, I hope you do all of those. But uh, that is the kind of gestation of it. And the inspiration of it was essentially to give a fairly straightforward, clear, ground-level approach to a lot of subjects that people have heard about in the world of magic, the occult, and things related, uh, but really don't have a handle on. Uh, and have not really had any access to anything uh, like reliable information. And you wrote this, so was this talk before A Theology of Love or after your book, A Theology of Love? After. I recorded it in um, just about a year ago. I was I happened to be in the uh, New York, New Jersey area just at the peak transmission of the virus, although uh, fortunately <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> got out of dodge <laughs> well that's what i wanted to ask you too uh people always uh, email vance and i and they're very grateful that we stay out of current politics or philosophy or wherever the wind is blowing today and we try to stay high level and a spiritual mythic even historical level you know something that's more timeless that people might could use tomorrow in 10 years but i always ask my guests about the lockdowns and the pandemic what is your take do you feel this is a uniquely historical event What's your perspective? I know Mark Twain said uh, history doesn't repeat, but it certainly rhymes. What do you think of this era, Richard? Well, I think the thing I'd like to point out is that throughout the year 2019, astrologers were talking incessantly about a conjunction of Pluto and Saturn that was due to be exact on January 13th, 2020. And there was an enormous amount of speculation that uh, about what this would be. The last time it happened was in 1933, which was the height of the Great Depression. It's when Hitler came to power. So I think you can see from the start that nobody was expecting anything good. And the coronavirus hit the world just around then. Uh, the, these planets stay in that particular aspect for months because they move slowly, but the exact 
uh, hit was on January 13th. So astrologers knew something like this was coming. No astrologer, to my knowledge, knew that it was going to be the coronavirus specifically. But everybody was thinking like, wow, something is going to be a New Year's uh, 2020. I said to my wife, and she can confirm this, we're not going to recognize the the world uh, next New Year's. Wow. And that that came true. (laughs) Right, yeah. So I I regard it, you know, uh, is it caused by the stars? Well, you know, that's a, a long uh, topic, uh, and I don't think anyone's ever really uh, satisfied with it, but uh, it certainly coincided with this astrological aspect. And as a result, people who looked at astrology, uh, well, uh, you know, it wasn't a total surprise, although the form it took was, of course, a surprise. Wow. Yes. And your book does deal with astrology and you made a good case of it. And I like this one part, Richard, where it's not the first time that you've uh, figured things with astrology. Maybe you should put a 1-800 number across the screen (laughs) if you keep this up. Go to Richard Smoley, find out what 2022 is going to be like. But you also said when George W. Bush was inaugurated, you did a, a chart of his administration And you basically said, uh, uh, quote, wow, it looks like we're going to have a war. And boy, did we have many years of war. Yeah. And then, as I I think I also said in the book, I just poo-pooed it because this was, all right, January uh, 2001, when, you know, the uh, as the Onion uh, satirical news uh, letter uh, website puts it, um, the United States long nightmare of peace and prosperity was finally over. (laughs) Uh, uh, That that turned out to be rather prophetic. But uh, but at that time, I dismissed it. I said, nah, that's ridiculous. Who are we going to have war with? uh, I I only thought of this much, much later. Yeah, I guess it is. Um, So, you know, is astrology perfect? No, I think it does. uh, give you a little bit of a weather forecast. Let's put it that way. Um, is everything like fixed and determined the way the old astrologers believe? Mm, uh, no, probably not. But it, they do point to certain influences that are um, uh, coming into play. Yeah, very interesting indeed. And uh, another topic that has uh, definitely become so important and that's the idea of uh, conspiracy theories. I don't think we can put this genie back in the bottle. I kind of miss the the halcyon or innocent days where you had to go to a UF conference uh, once a year in Vegas, where you had to uh, maybe get a book on the JFK assassin. When conspiracies was for uh, the professionals in the margins, and now it seems to have... Uh, spread across the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas what it might be? I think it, it's maybe connected to the idea of end times that we all want to know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think part of it is that people have become much more aware of an interdependent and interconnected world, a lot of whose decisions, actions, and events affect them but uh, they don't really know how they're going to affect them or who's bringing them into play. Now, as a result, the idea is to think of this one grand overarching conspiracy 
engineered by, well, take your pick, that's kind of manipulating everything to its advantage. Are there conspiracies? Well, I think so. Uh, I think uh, I just saw something today that said Putin uh, was conspiring to interfere in the U.S. election. Uh, the Chinese are conspiring in their own way. We're conspiring in yet another way. I mean, that is our government is. So always uh, is. <laughs> if, if you you know if you want to, Mike is you know is, is Microsoft conspiring to dominate the software industry? I think so. Um, so the the point is that there are a lot of these agendas and conspiracies, and they don't. Uh, interlock. There's there's not a Mr. Big at the top who's uh, arranging it all together. There are a lot of powerful interests uh, whose uh, you know mutual interests sometimes coincide, sometimes they're very much opposed. And this is a much more complex truth than the idea of a conspiracy theory that's all uh, overarching. Yeah, at the same time, I would also say uh, maybe it's... Uh... Um, I agree with you, but uh, what has changed is that now we are flooded with so much information. And mm -hmm. it always reminds me of this quote by uh, Sigmund Freud. He pointed out that the human mind has a low tolerance threshold for ambiguity. It clutches at straws in order to avoid drowning in uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And we live with the way we are evolving, technology is evolving, that some people can't handle all this ambiguity and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. So do you think some people just have to create order out of all this data? I think so. I think so. Of course, there are a lot of things that are very difficult to foresee. Like to what extent, what is technology going to be doing to us and for us 10 years from now? Uh, nobody had thought of the smartphone at the turn of the century, which uh, for at least for a man my age, is not that long ago. So there is a huge amount happening. Again, uh, even if you break it down into good versus bad, by whatever criteria you choose to use, um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff going on. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. How does it? Uh, how does it balance out? Does it balance out? Well, those are very deep questions. And um, the other thing about it is this is not chess. It's not even a war in the typical sense in that um, the game is never over. Nobody you know, wins or loses decisively. There's always another stage. You can see this in politics. Uh, one party loses power in one election uh, and they're really down. The next time around, they, they rebound and the other party's down. There's no end uh, in politics, it's, there's always going to be more because there are always going to be people and people need to be governed. And uh, yeah, and speaking of uh, end times, your book deals with it. I like how you said about the last judgment. God is not a producer of a B-grade movie. He's not. <laughs> it's not going to be like a Michael Bay film or anything like that. I mean, we we don't know what the end is going to be. But at the, at the core, do you feel, as you say in your book, that this is maybe, and maybe even conspiracy theories, is that uh, it's a fear of death? That's why we have, and again, you could say fundamentalists also want to make sure that they don't have any ambiguity in the future. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean, historically, Christianity started as an apocalyptic religion. 
Jesus died, and after he died, a number of people had some experience that they said was of the risen Christ. Uh, we don't know what those experiences are because we actually have uh, virtually no firsthand counts of, of those. But they believe this event was extraordinary enough that it was going to um, presage apocalypse, which was already very much in the uh, Jewish mentality uh, at that point. There is another issue, which was something big was building up in real terms, which is that the Jews really did not like being dominated by Rome, and this tension was increasing decade by decade. Uh, the, the Romans, for reasons or another, seemed to choose bad governors, of which Romans seemed to have plenty, and something was about to burst, and this did burst uh, in the Jewish war between um, basically 66 and 73 A.D., in which the Romans invaded Judea, uh, basically destroyed um, a good chunk of it, sacked the temple in Jerusalem. And, you know, for Judaism, for uh, the people of that uh, region at that time, it was an end of the world, but it wasn't the end of the world in the way that they had been expecting. Uh, there were no uh, kind of angels descending from above. And as the saying goes, cats continue to have kittens. Now, in our time, why is apocalyptic expectation so intense? Well, part of it is uh, so many unprecedented changes. The world feels radically different than it's ever been because it is radically different. Uh, why does people uh, uh, lead people to believe in the end times? Well, as I say, Christianity has predisposed them to it. In the second place, uh, as I've argued in my book, there is, I believe, displacement is an issue or a, a factor. That is to say, displacement psychologically means you have a fear, and this fear bothers you so much that you can't really face it head on. So you displace it onto something else, something more remote. Uh, and everyone's world is going to come to an end in a few decades. Yours, mine, uh, and the whole world, we're all going to die. Everybody knows that. Uh, nobody likes to think about it. That is a very uncomfortable truth that we keep pushing away. And one way of dealing with it is this myth, uh, which, as I say, is somewhat like a B-grade movie is interpreted these days uh, uh, of apocalypse. You know, people, I mean, do you ever see that uh, painting, The Dallas Rapture? Uh, where you know this painting of Jesus appearing above Dallas, and and all these cars have crashed because these souls are being raptured. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it's, it. It's uh, good sci-fi or B. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> on the other hand, I, I, in the I, I think I hope you and I could agree at least that this is not a very plausible picture, uh, and in my opinion, um, is unlikely to happen in the form imagined. So there is this displacement. Now people are afraid of dying. Yes. What are they even more afraid of? Dying alone. So the idea is that, oh, well, we won't die alone because we're all going to go together when we go. And B, uh, even better, is that God is going to come and set the scales of justice right. That is to say, all the bad people are going to be tossed into the eternal hit with the devil and his um, minions and all of the good people, uh, which of course include 
you and your church and so on are going to be raptured up to heaven and everything is going to be great. So you could see there are intense psychological factors pushing for a belief in the end times. Now, on the other hand, uh, people will say, well, there's this real global environmental crisis. What, what about that? Well, that's real. Uh, and uh, it could be very, very bad for the human race and uh, for many of the species on this planet for a long time. But I think the Earth, uh, to be frank about it, has, has gone through bigger cataclysms, as we know from geological history, and the Earth will survive this, and I believe life will survive this. The human species, well, uh, uh, who knows? That's an open question. <laughs> yeah. That's an open question, yeah, and I do agree with you about uh, Bible prophecy. I don't know if you've ever heard this uh, quote by the humanist Robert Ingersoll. He says, the only prophecy in the Bible that ever came through was Jesus saying he would come with the sword. Outside of that, nothing else. (laughs) Christianity has brought a lot of wars. Uh, We know that. And uh, at the same time, you do talk about in your book uh, that we are in the age of Aquarius. Uh, Again, the the stars that don't lie, even when we don't understand them, that things are shifting. And you propose that perhaps the problem is, is uh, we don't have a religion of this age that has yet manifested. Yes, that's true. There's been a lot of talk about the age of Aquarius. It became popularized uh, by the song in the uh, late 60s. There is no real consensus among astrologers when the age of Aquarius begins, because there's no exact dotted line in the sky between constellations. So when the vernal equinox enters um, Aquarius instead of Pisces is a mute a moot point. Nonetheless, I think there are lots of factors indicating that we are in the age of Aquarius, and that this is pretty much it, folks. Uh, and it's the Aquarianism has uh, really speeded up. Uh, my theory, uh, which. I think I'm not sure I mentioned in the book is that the world wars marked the transition because without going into historical details, you could say that world war one began um, with a dispute over sea power, Pisces, water, sea, and it ended with the triumph of air power because the allies would never have landed on D-Day if they did not have, overwhelming air superiority. And how did World War II end? With the ultimate expression of air power. Aquarius is an air sign, uh, even though it's the water bear, it's still an air sign. The ultimate expression of air power was the atom bomb. So I think that marked a major watershed. And I think a lot of these changes have become um, accelerated over the last uh, 20 years. Astrology sometimes, is, um, I'm sorry, um, Aquarius is sometimes associated with homosexuality. Um, and hey, gay marriage, who would have thought gay marriage would have been uh, universal in the United States um, even 20 years ago? There's that. And Aquarius is very, um, you know, very much technology, futuristic. Silicon Valley is an Aquarian phenomenon. And uh, all of that is, is, is speeding up and accelerating. All of this technological stuff is very Aquarian. Aquarius is very idealistic. But 
in a way, like the old Charlie Brown, or uh, I think Lucy uh, says, um, you know, I um, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. Uh, there's, you know, this great, you know, overarching. We want to save humanity. We want to do everything, and yet. Uh, social life, civilization has become a lot more impersonal, mechanical, and um, less human than it has been. And I think that too is an Aquarian phenomenon. People who thought the age of Aquarius was going to be a utopia uh, were simply wrong. Uh, it is uh, going to be a different age. You did mention an Aquarian uh, Aquarian religion. I would also say, with a, again, going very broadly over huge historical uh, feel, the age of Pisces, uh, the beginning of the age of Pisces marked the, the rise of the great world religions, starting around 500 BC, culminating with Islam um, in the seventh century. Uh, so that was the rise of the world religions. This is the age of the world religions. And the world religions religion is a Piscean phenomenon and religion now is um, crumbling in many ways. It's, it's trying to reinvent itself uh, and uh, really doesn't know how. And a, a new religion as an Aquarian phenomenon hasn't appeared. And as I also said, we may not even recognize it as a religion because the age before the age of Pisces was the age of Aries. And in those, in that age, between roughly 2000 BC and uh, say the beginning of the Christian era, what was religion? It was animal sacrifice. And if someone from the age of Julius Caesar showed up today and looked around, he said, these people are atheists because I don't see any animals <laughs> being sacrificed. Similarly, the Piscean person, may not recognize uh, or wish to acknowledge the religion of the time of Aquarius, which I want to emphasize, um, I don't know. I, I can't personally foresee it. I can, I can, you know, foresee some kind of glimpses, but um, I don't think it will be scientific materialism, which is uh, collapsing uh, right now as um, a worldview, but uh, it may have some more aspect of, what we may think of a scientific approach. Yeah. And for the audience, uh, our last interview I did with Richard was uh, on his book, a theology of love. We actually did it a video in person back when we were allowed to do these things. Uh, ergo, we're doing this right now, even though we live in the vicinity and uh, Richard does a great argument in showing how a course in miracles can be a great replacement or bridge to the next religion to what christianity is and it's a great book and great interview uh and at the same time richard going back a little to conspiracies somebody once said that uh, all a conspiracy is is history plus time and sometimes i feel it's right i i like jfk i'm pretty convinced it wasn't lee harvey oswald i i think that uh, it was the fbi who took down martin luther king jr uh, but then, you know, of course, again, people are going to debate this from now until the end of history in these conferences in Vegas. Um, but something that is really no longer a conspiracy is the idea of UFOs. That's something mm -hmm. that the media is uh, talking about, the military, the U.S. government, the Russian government. Uh, are you surprised that this phenomenon has just sort of exploded? Maybe this is the next religion. Who knows? 
Well, certainly people associate these UFOs with kind of a quasi-religious impulse. And um, Jung pointed this out as far back as 1957 in his book, Flying Saucers. Uh, whether it has you know, a properly religious component and what these UFOs may be about is uh, still a mystery. Uh, but you know, to me, it was clear for a fairly long time that uh, these UFO sightings were real. At least some of them were real. Yeah, a lot of them are, you know, the planet Venus or, you know, whatever the people don't happen to recognize. But yeah, some of these things are, you know, very, very much real. And there was, what can you say, you're right, there was a conspiracy to cover it up, uh, sometimes in the most improbable ways. Uh, in fact, the first one was the Roswell incident, uh, I believe, what was that, 1947, uh, where, you know, they, they first reported that these were flying saucers, and then the, the military backed off and um, said it was just a weather balloon. And they had some poor slob, um, you know, doing a press appearance, holding up some, like, <laughs> weather balloon. I think the guy who did that later, but you know, the time of his death said, um, you know, I, I was ordered to do that, but I, I was really grieved at just having to tell that lie. So, yeah, that uh, is definitely coming out and it will have uh, any number of implications. I think one thing that will definitely uh, be happening and is happening is that humanity no longer sees itself as merely uh, bound to Earth. You know, the awareness of other extraterrestrials with whom we may have some contact, the idea that uh, you know, Elon Musk uh, wants to, to, you know, create an empire on Mars or whatever it is he wants to do, uh, <laughs> definitely indicates that humanity is trying to reach beyond, uh, you know, its its earthly limits. And that, too, is an Aquarian phenomenon. A new mythology. Maybe that's what we need. Uh, maybe that's all Elon is doing. He's just tapping into an energy to uh, make change in the consciousness of humanity. Yeah. Well, yeah, all of these, I mean, this new mythology is kind of evolving. I think it's also reinforced a notion of humanity's fundamental oneness, which up until very recently, nobody took it all seriously. And the need to deal with humanity as a fundamentally, uh, as a unit, and to think of ourselves as a unit. Uh, and this is uh, one of the more positive sides of the Aquarian phenomenon. Just the idea of peace. Peace as an ideal is rare. Uh, I believe it was in 1898, um, the Tsar of Russia uh, put together the Hague Conference on World Peace, which was the first one in history. This did not work terribly well because uh, World War I broke out 16 years later, but it was a start. And Humanity, at least, has since then, especially since the world wars, started to realize that at world peace as an ideal. When no one really thought of this, even a, a couple of hundred years ago. Yeah, well, we're still a long way. And Vince, you've been following UFOs for a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on this, or do you have a question for Richard? Um, yeah, um, Richard. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of the many instances of people claiming they've contacted the aliens. And I think that's probably the closest point where UFOs and religions uh, intersect. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, I remember there's um, a one particular narration that said 
that uh, the gray aliens claim they created the human race. Well, what do you, th- what are your thoughts on that? My guess is that it's basically bullshit. Um, um, all right. Well, we're, we're on UFOs. So I'm going to be talk. I'll talk about what I'm reading now, which is uh, some channel material that came out in the eighties called the raw material. And this oh, is yeah. channel. I, I no doubt you're familiar with it. Perhaps you've, yeah. you've, read, you've read it a long time ago. And this is supposedly a collective extraterrestrial entity entity communicating with this channel. And this these readings were done in the early 80s. And they basically say, well, yes, there are. Uh, and they're kind of two uh, kind of flavors. And the rarer kind is the positive one which you know basically kind of emphasizes love and peace and light and the other kind um which is basically intended to kind of promote fear and it says that more of the ufo appearances that we've seen are of the latter kind so the idea that you have these gray aliens saying they they created you that they um you know did all sorts of things uh, the kind of um abuse they seem to, to perpetrate on them, people they abduct, would be of this more negative kind. So that, am I saying I agree with this or not? Um, not necessarily, but um, since the, the, the subject comes up, and I, I do happen to be reading this, uh, um, I thought I'd mention it. Yeah, I mean, it, it intersects with magic, too, because uh, many magical practitioners in the past, hope I not misstating this but um relied to uh, on on other entities spiritual entities you know demons or angels or uh spirits of some sort and i think there's some sort of connection between aliens and angels and spirits and so forth because they're the otherworldly type uh you know type creatures that they want to draw power from or get information from or whatever so maybe that's a kind of a uh, dive back into your book and, and magic. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I would just say, consider the known world and its life forms, which vary enormously. Uh, some things, it's uh, some creatures, it's hard to uh, recognize even as living. A large number of them, if you view them in close up, look like monsters. Yet they're all part of the ecosystem of the earth. I think, therefore, it's fairly safe to assume that the unknown or the normally unseen worlds uh, contain an equal diversity of life forms. And again, uh, probably some are friendly to us, probably some are not, probably as in, um, you know, the biological sphere, uh, most of them are neutral. They're, they're neither uh, favorable to us or unfavorable to us. They're, they're just trying to live their lives in whatever realms um, they happen to be in. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe internally, you know how they say, well, actually, you know, the the temple is within you and so forth, and the, mm-hmm. the universe is within you. Maybe mm-hmm. all these things live within our consciousness uh, if you dive deep enough, and uh, that's that's a possibility too, right? Yeah, but then you get into the very uh, profound issue of where does my consciousness uh, stop and where does everyone else's begin? Yeah, I mean, if you Okay, 
you know, take the idea that we are all one. In what sense are we all one? On the physical level, this is completely absurd. We're not all one. Uh, but if you look at the mystical teachings of the world, and I do, uh, I think, allude to this in this book, uh, that in you, which says I, the Atman, the self, uh, the kingdom of God, the Christ principle, uh, I am, uh, there are as many names for it as there are um, cultures. Uh, that in you, which says I, is ultimately the same as it is in everyone else. And if you believe things like A Course in Miracles, the belief that this little I of ours is separate and isolated from all others is itself the major cognitive mistake out of which everything else arises. So the, the boundary of what uh, my consciousness is and your consciousness and world consciousness is, is a bit um, fuzzier than I think we like to think. Yeah. I like in your book, Richard, you have uh, an esoteric uh, saying that says, neither accept nor reject. And uh, I think everybody in social media should have that in their head. It's like, keep scrolling. You don't have to give your opinion or project your shadow. Just keep scrolling. But uh, you basically say, if you accept this outlook and it will free you from a great deal of mental mental torture. And you can apply this to UFOs, reincarnation, anything. You're just observing, right? Be yeah, observed. that's it. And, you know, I think a lot of the anxiety that we see in um, current society has to do with a failure to do this because people are often feel some kind of pressure to, to take a side on everything. And you know, <laughs> right, there are yeah. huge amounts of it. You're, you're, you know, you have to, you're either for or against. Uh, Uspensky called this level of the mind the formatory apparatus. And he said the formatory apparatus, the mechanical aspect of the intellect, uh, can only count up to two. Uh, you know, uh, us versus them, Republicans versus Democrats, Christians versus everybody else. Um, and, you know, well, <laughs> there are more numbers beyond the number two. Uh, and, you know, you're not uh, obliged to have opinions about things about which you really know very little. I mean, I used to, you know, every poll you, you see has a certain number of don't knows, right? And I used to think those people were, you know, those people were dumb. <laughs> you don't have an opinion on, you know. Don't know. <laughs> the, uh, the Afghan war or, you know, uh, you know, but um, I realized more and more um there's, I, I don't, I really don't know enough to, to have an opinion about a lot of things. Um, no, does that mean, does that mean I'm not a concerned citizen? No, I'm a concerned citizen. I vote, I, you know, state my opinions um, whenever someone is willing to hear them, which is uh, fortunately not very often. <laughs> but, um, you know, you're just not a, blo- there, there's nothing pushing you to say, hey, you have to decide good or bad, good or bad, I, I, with or, or without. And of course, it's even worse because, uh, more of these social pressures uh, want to sell you this uh, whole uh, line of goods. You know, the, you know, the, I don't know, the evangelical Christian line of goods, the, you know, liberal line of goods. And if you kind of think about them, well, you know, then you're, you, then you bring yourself to the realization that, wow, one side is right about certain things. The other side is right about certain things. Um, and you're not obliged, 
you know, to sign on um, to, to this like mortgage for, for, you know, this whole piece of uh, intellectual property. But it's like, oh, you know, I don't know. I agree with them about this. I think this is going too far. I agree with these people about that. And people um, more and more, I think, are unaware that they have this choice. And there's a lot that is pressuring them to forget that they have this choice. Yeah, I would certainly agree. And your book has a lot of useful advice. Uh, perhaps my, one of my favorite ones is you uh, uh, discuss a mystical secret. And let me quote you. It goes, you can never give up what is true. The only thing you can give up are illusions. We live in a world of illusions. We mm -hmm. live in a world that tries to make us believe that certain things are more important than they are, or that we should be terribly excited or upset about the most insignificant matters. So that kind of supports what we we just talked about. Yeah, that's 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 very true. And I think, I mean, there there are deeper questions here. One is people want some kind of firm ground to stand on. And for a lot of people, this means certain core beliefs, not only even necessarily religious beliefs or political beliefs, but beliefs about the way the world is. And many of these beliefs are simply incorrect. All you have to do is look at the latest um, thing about quantum from quantum physics. It's, I mean, people are posting this on my Facebook feed every day. You know, quantum physics, <laughs> well, this chair does not exist. I mean, I, that's, that's one that I or saw. NASA uh, you know, scientists has figured out that we're in a simulation. So. <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, I, you know, science itself is um, starting to realize that its own assumptions are really actually pretty shaky. And this can be very uh, discomforting for some people. Uh, probably most people, probably almost everyone, because we all do live within a certain set of assumptions, and it'd be very difficult to go through our days if we didn't. But it's probably a good idea to realize that a lot of the things you thought were so, uh, maybe maybe not be so. And um, this, by the way, I, if anyone is listening uh, and uh, wants to apply this, I would focus my attention first on the things that you're most upset about. The things that upset you the most. That things may not, those things, whatever they are, probably aren't uh, the way you see them. They probably, uh, you may even be completely wrong about them. Uh, and plenty of people are wrong about them. Maybe you could say most people um, are wrong about most things. And, uh, I certainly wouldn't exclude myself from that. The point is you just have a, you have that neither accept nor reject gives you a certain mental freedom saying, well, I may not know, but you know, in a way I, I don't have to know. Um, I don't know what's to be done about peace in the Middle East, but uh, I don't know what the hell is going on down there. But then who asked me? I mean, if you, you know, <laughs> threw me in as like uh, a, a senior diplomatic uh agent for the United States. Well, I guess I'd try to figure something out, but I don't think anyone's going to call me uh, on that uh, anytime soon. <laughs> They're not sitting on Facebook waiting for you to post on this, Richard? <laughs> exactly. God, what is wrong with people? <laughs> You're there. Yeah. Uh, this world, this world. Uh, so, and uh, uh, 
Well, talking about the book, and I'm sure some people will, might be looking at the podcast, uh, you know, title and going, the truth about magic. Well, they haven't talked about magic. Well, we kind of have. But uh, if somebody were to ask you, Richard, what is magic? What's your answer to them? Well, I would say it is affecting changes in the world through means that are not usually perceivable by the ordinary five senses and ca- and causing change in a way in ways that do not uh, follow the ordinary patterns of what we think of as cause and effect. Uh, I actually only describe one kind of magic, which is basically taking thought forms. Thought forms have their own substance in a way. Most of them are very ephemeral, but some of them have had a lot of uh, energy put into them. And one thought form that has had a lot of energy put into it, and the energy can be either positive or negative, is the idea of the devil. Do I believe in a personal devil? No, but I do believe in what the occult tradition calls the egregore of the devil. That is a collective thought form into which people have um, Uh, focus a lot of energy over the last 2,000 years, and thus appears to have a certain amount of power. Uh, That's an uh, unconscious use of of magic. Uh, A more conscious use is some kind of creative visualization. Now, this might be, you know, you take a thought form, you, you send, shall we say, power, life force to it. This can be done by ritual. Uh, It can be done purely mentally. Uh, as uh, that's, you know, that kind of thought power seems to be the more, um, well, prevalent uh, form in the um, United States today. In the old days, it was done more and more. Uh, it was done more, um, as you mentioned earlier, in the form of contacting entities such as angels, demons, nature, spirits, and so on. Uh, I, this seem, and people are still doing this. Um, and, or the spirits of the dead. Um, people are still doing this, but you're basically dialing somebody up almost at random and saying, "Hey, I want you to do this for me." Even if the even if the entity is you know basically a nice guy, um, you know you're, you're basically trying to bully it into do, doing something you want, and it might not like that. It might try to sabotage the um, the um, event. Or <laughs> here's the other one: um, uh, it, it might uh, want to say, "Sure, go along and try to get power over you." Um, you know, it's uh, a friend of mine sent me a a, a, a news item. A, 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 a few days ago um, uh, about Uriah Heep, you know, the rock man of the 70s. Oh, great band. Yeah, The Wizard, Lady in Black. Yes, yes, I admit uh, Yeah, it. well, they uh, actually did a seance where they tried to contact the spirits of the dead. Really? And oh. um, it scared the shit out of them. They said, well, we're never <laughs> going to do that again. You know, so, yeah, and, and then and part of the whole experience with magic that I guess everybody has to uh, face at one point or another is the, the, the magical threshold of, holy shit, it works. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, yeah, so if you go around poking things. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, I mean, it's it's like, you know, the, the teenagers playing with a Ouija board. Um, you know, it's kind of starts as a fun game and then startling, you know, it starts to get uh, kind of weird in a way that none of them wanted or foresaw. 
And a lot of them just get scared and drop it probably wisely. Um, and if not, I guess you could take it uh, in whatever direction you want. You know, uh, one of the uh, most admired uh, American poets of the last couple of generations is James Merrill. And one of his major works is called The Changing Light of Sandover. And a lot of it can, uh, consists of transcripts of uh, Ouija board uh, communications he and his partner had with these various entities. Um, and, you know, I personally think at some point or another, uh, these entities were sound very much like they were starting to play games with Merrill and his partner. But, uh, Merrill's own pu- Merrill's own poetry is very beautiful at any rate. Mm, very interesting. Yeah, and you use an example in your book. You had a friend uh, whose boyfriend needed some money, and your friend did some magic, did the magic rituals, and yeah, the money came, but not as he wanted, right? His uh, mm-hmm. Somebody broke into his apartment or whatever, yeah. stole yeah. his stuff, and the insurance money was exactly what he needed. Yeah, that's, that's, that's basically the story. And the thing about this is, you know, so there, you know, so much of this, say, creative visualization stuff. I, I visualize the perfect job. Okay, I want the. I did this myself uh, uh, almost th- I, myself thirty years ago. I, you know, I had all kinds of conditions. What I wanted. To, well, I did get a job like that, but I hated it. I, I, uh, they uh, got rid of me after eight months, and I was glad they did, <laughs> even though you know it fit all my criteria. You know, and you can never really make it so specific that uh, you can totally avoid that kind of consequence. Yeah, it might work against you. And uh, what would you say is black magic? Or is that even a thing? Attempting to harm someone um, Mm -hmm. through magical, the same means. That is to say, um, or attempting to gain undue influence over someone. Most, I think, magicians would say that casting a spell uh, to make someone fall in love with you would count as black magic. Although I did know one practitioner who said uh, uh, that kind of magic never works except in reverse on the practitioner. So you can uh, (laughs) take what you want from that. Mm. Um, You know, so, you know, you, 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 (laughs) you know, you know, you try to get, you know, you know, uh, the beautiful girl at the office to fall in love with you. Well, that could, if you, if you use means to do that, um, it, it's not likely to work out too well. Uh, so the thing about it is if magic works, why doesn't everybody use it? And Question. I, I've basically already given you the answer because it's very difficult to do this kind of thing without unintended and undesired consequences. And, you know, there's a certain point at which people decide, you know, I think I better just leave this alone because I may be causing more trouble for myself than it's worth. Now, there are people for whom magic is a a very spiritual, uh, a serious spiritual path. And there is an attempt to, shall we say, uh, connect with the higher realms and integrate them into our world. That was the, f- the function of many of the Renaissance magicians. I think that's a legitimate, but notice it's not um, selfish. You were basically trying to integrate, as I say, the higher worlds with the lower ones. Uh, so uh, you're not looking for any personal advantage as a result. 
Yeah, but there is sort of a God. I don't want to say if you're a, a different wrinkle or an angle because you talk about one example, Richard. Um, speaking of love and denying somebody else's agency using magic, but you say some practitioners will put menstrual blood behind her ear before a date, but you say, well, that's not, it's not really magic because blood has pheromones, so it might work. So it's a scientific way of seducing a guy, of denying his free will? Well, before, <laughs> before you go any further, where did I get that little tip from? Uh, Anton Zandor LeVay and his daughter's book, The Satanic Witch. Oh. So, <laughs> uh, I, uh, works or not, I mean, it, 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 in that context, it, it was used uh, as a, and is meant as a form of black magic. I was just simply saying, well, since this stuff does contain pheromones, um, maybe it actually could work in some kind of way. So, but yeah, that is definitely, uh, you know, would be considered black magic. White magic is totally pure in motive. Uh, a little writer to that is like, who do you know uh, whose motives are completely pure? No one. It, it's an ideal, but I think it, it is possible and desirable to have at least motives that are relatively pure. Yeah, definitely very interesting. Yeah, and thanks for uh, Mr. LeVay himself. Uh, and uh, going to the subject uh, of, uh, well, I'll tell the audience, uh, if you want to know, like when Richard's talking about consciousness, uh, I would definitely suggest you buy his book, The Dice Game of Shiva. I think I am one of those individuals. I think, Richard, I have probably read all of your books. So when Thank you, you go in me. one subject or another, I know, ex you know, ah, he's drawing from this book. He's drawing mm -hmm. from inner Christianity. He's drawing from. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, you say that most of our consciousness is mechanic. Most people are on autopilot, obviously. And even beyond that, that's a very Gnostic, Uspensky, Gurdjieff uh, kind of philosophy. We're all just sort of robots. Uh, what advice do you have for people to even find out if they are mechanic? Uh, like, for example, I have this cliche as much as it's a silly cliche that goes, uh, life begins when your comfort zone ends. And I realize mm -hmm. I, I love rituals and habits, but they have kind of constrained me and they've made a lot of my daily life not magical. So I've tried to change this in the last year by simply changing habits, trying to scare myself, doing things. Uh, but what advice do you have for people so they can not be on autopilot? Well, there are many things one could do. But the one that comes to mind is to choose to respond rather than to react. And I think if you examine this, you know fairly quickly uh, how this works. Uh, since you very kindly said you admired my work, I'll tell you a story about this. And this was way back, this was in the 90s, before debit cards. And I was in the San Francisco health food store, buying a few things. And I, life was not going well for me at that point, And I was not in a good mood. So I'm standing in the line, and I, I didn't really like the way the checkout thing was working. It seemed inefficient. I, I, I was came very, very close to making some snide remark to the clerk, mm. uh, but I didn't. 
I just, you know, was, and the guy looked at my name on the check. Oh my God, I'm really an admirer of your work. Um, somebody tapped me on the shoulder, <laughs> some unseen thing tapped me on the shoulder and told me, you know, uh, not, not to uh, uh, react. But I have in many other circumstances, you say something nasty or, uh, you know, just uh, it just kind of comes out. Uh, and if you can just kind of pay attention, it's like, well, you know, let's let's not just fly off the handle right away. Um, I think that would be a, a major step. And I think um, I think it would anyone who tried to apply this. Um, uh, principle uh, in any kind of serious or comprehensive way would find that um, life would suddenly start to get a whole lot better. Well, awesome. Well, uh, I will have information on your book and as well as your homepage. But for those who listen, uh, where can people find out uh, more about your work, Richard? Well, my website is innerchristianity.com, I-N-N-E-R, Christianity, which is the title of one of my books. Um uh, I do have a lot of lectures, uh, most of them given at the Theosophical Society in Wheaton, Illinois, uh, that are up on uh, YouTube. So as a matter of fact, uh, you could binge watch me if you were so disposed. And my books are available, like The Truth About Magic is certainly available on Amazon and uh, all the other usual sources. Wonderful. You heard that, audience. Uh, Well, first of all, Vance, thanks for keeping us company on this magical journey. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, Richard, maybe uh, your next book can be The Magic About Truth. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll give it a try. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, are you working on anything else right now? I have ideas rattling around in my head, but uh, nothing, nothing I could really talk about. All right. Well, your muse, your daemon, or your egregore might have to take care of the next job. But uh, always look forward to your next work and uh, enjoyed your book, Richard. And as always, thank you for your time and coming on AM Byte. Well, thank you so much for your intelligent questions and um, for your interest in my work. I really appreciate it. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you. And there you have it, my beloved truth seekers. The first part of my interview with Richard Smoley. You are indeed living magic. It's just about tapping into the right avenues of myth and praxis and art. In our second part, Richard will discuss contemplation and meditation. Lots of useful insights and tips. We'll talk some Kabbalah, and then Richard will pivot to the notions of life force and ESP. He'll share about the failure of scientism in the 21st century and where we're headed from there. Then we'll go into the past and Richard will give us some good dope on Atlantis. And much more. As a bonus, and as mentioned in the intro, I'll provide an old interview with Richard on his book, Forbidden Faith where he focuses on the legacy of the Gnostics, secret societies, and other groups. More scholarly, and you'll love it. So please support this Red Pill Cafeteria to get the full interview, and so many other bonuses I won't get into right now. Go to thegodabovegod.com or message my ass for ways to become part of a thriving Gnostic community and gain content you won't find anywhere else in cyberspace or even meet space. 
Don't forget I'm now on Rockfin and Odyssey. If you're tired of legacy internet platforms and want to support with more unorthodox currency. And as I often say, if you've got holes in your pockets due to the monkey shines of Archons, let me know. I'll give you any show on La Casa. Do it all the time. No matter what, you are living magic, and you have so much magic to offer the world. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.